0: We're going to be in Romans 8, starting in verse 31 today. Um, I don't know if you guys have a favorite chapter in the Bible, but from Romans 8, 1 to the end of Romans just speaks to my heart. And uh, there's not a verse in that chapter that doesn't light me up inside. And so we're going to be in verse 31. Just follow along with me if you have your Bibles open. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The Apostle Paul says, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us,
1: Thanks, Mike. Good morning, Exchange. Are we excited? We're going to do this again? Was it a year since I was last year? Seems like it was, you know, I don't know. Like, we love each other now, right? We know each other. If you're new, we'll love each other. Just give me a few minutes, and, you know, it'll it'll be good. It'll be good. Um, Did you guys have a great Christmas Eve? Okay, okay. Um, and and has anybody actually thought about 2024? Given any thoughts, 2024? Okay, okay. Before before we do that, can I just ask one one final question? How awesome are Josiah and Kimber and, and his family? Can we just give it up for them? I know that you guys have been uh, led well, and I just uh, I love I love the Graves uh, family, and uh, I love you guys. So thank you so much for what you do, Josiah, Kimber. So I have, I think, used about five of my 300. Five of my 300 questions. That's about the average amount of questions that a 10-year-old asks per day. True, I looked it up, okay? So you know if you look it up, it's gotta be true. So about 300 questions. If you have a child, you can probably authenticate that, right? Especially when they're hungry. You know, they're just kind of like, ask for the next uh, snack. And, And so this morning... What I wanted to do is, is take a look at, okay, so if there's about 300 questions that an average 10-year-old asks every day, those questions go down as you get older, probably. You're not probably quite as curious. You don't have quite as many whys, although I think it's really healthy that we do. This morning, I want to look at what's the most important question for 2024? What is the most important question For 2024. Okay, so so first let's let's do the answer, okay? I'm gonna give you the answer first. And 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 we looked at it in the passage. The answer is no. Somebody say no. All right, so listen, we're gonna have to do this together, okay? This is just how I work. So somebody say no. All right, so so we're gonna work on your no because what you need to have is a strong no. We're starting. With the answer before we actually look at the question and and as I have raised my children I, we have four kids ages 22, uh, 18, 8, and seven as as we've been raising our kids, one of the things that we want them to have is a strong no right now when they're three and two and, and they're working on their strong no it's it can be kind of annoying right you're like they keep telling you no, and you keep like re re uh directing them but but the, The fact of the matter is, like, my kids need to have a strong no. You need to be able to have a strong no. It's both protective and it's reinforcing. It's protective of things that you don't want to harm you, right? Like, if you want to protect your body, you got to have a strong no. If you want to protect yourself from threats that come your way, you got to have a strong no. If you want your kids to be able to pursue the path of purity... They have to have a strong, healthy no. If you want to reinforce the things that you've already said yes to, you have to have a strong, healthy. Somebody say no. no. Okay, okay, okay. That's our answer. That's where we're starting. You know, in the morning, we're reminded of this every time you wake up, those of you who wake up to an alarm clock, because you set that alarm clock the night before based on a previous yes. Based on a previous yes of what you wanted to have accomplished that morning, whether it's getting up early to read your Bible, exercise, do whatever it might be, get your kids ready. So when that alarm clock goes off and you say no to the snooze and you say no to what your body really wants to do, which is stay in bed, it's actually reinforcing the previous yeses that you've already committed to. Somebody say no. You see, it's going to have to stay strong. Because there's going to be an enemy to this question that we look at today. First, the answer. The answer is no. Second, now the question. Well, What's the question? As we looked at the passage, if you have your Bibles, I'll bring you back to verse 35. Verse 35 gives us the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, the whole of life actually flows from this question. You know, I think a lot of times we want to have the right answers, but if you actually have the right questions, you're off to an amazing start. And so for 2024, we're looking at the most important question, because if we get this question right, all of 2024 and the remainder of your life will actually flourish and thrive. But if you miss this question, this one question, you will not thrive. You will crawl along. Wondering, vulnerable, far weaker than you should have ever been. So what's the question that we have to get right? What's the most important question for 2024, verse 35? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's one of those things that is a if-then, like, then, then this, right? So if this is true then all of these other things can be true as well. Paul alludes to it in verses 31 through 34. Look at this. He says this. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that awesome? Like no matter what you brought in here this morning, No matter what kind of marriage you brought in here, no matter what kind of addiction you brought in here, no matter what kind of um, just personal financial situation, no matter what kind of cloud of depression that you keep trying to run away from, no matter what kind of church involvement, no matter how you've read your Bible, no matter what 2023 has revealed about you, if this is true, it's all super secondary. If God is for us, then, then who can be against us? You ever, uh, in school, like, want that right person or teacher to be for you? You know, like, like sometimes you, you get in a class and you, you can tell the teacher's going to be, oh, this is, this is a sweet class because this teacher is going to work with us, right? This teacher's going to help feed us along the way. And I, I needed that. I needed teachers that wanted to work with this guy, okay? But then sometimes there'd be teachers who were like, they're not working with anybody. And, and so what would, hap- what would have to happen and what would, you would hope for is that somewhere along the line that, that you, you would hope that they would at least be for you. That, that they would use their authority and their power and their standing to be for you. Because if they were for you, th- then everything else could come after that. You, you knew that they were at least on your side maybe it was a popular student or whoever it might be but there's certain people in life that we have longed to be for us and what paul's saying is that like listen listen that that longing that you have check it out if the ultimate authority the creator of the universe the rescuer and redeemer of souls is for you then that redefines how you go about the challenges that have you by the throat it redefines, it doesn't excuse you from them. It doesn't diminish their hold immediately, but it redefines your approach because you have someone, something, that, some force that is for you that is always going to be greater than the thing that you feel like has been potentially drowning you. The Apostle Paul goes on to say this, that that, that if, if he's for us, in verses 31 through 34, he's going to graciously give us all things. So if we believe our Bibles, we've got to believe our Bibles. If we believe our Bibles, check this out. Well, I'm just going to always read it to you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So this is not name it and claim it. This is not prosperity gospel talking. These are all things that are beneficial for you and glorifying to God. So you may go without, but he's actually giving you all things because that is the greater good. Are you with me on that? Okay, so, so here's, here's the argument that Paul's setting up. If your greatest problem, which is sin... separates you from a holy good and loving God for eternity. And God has entered in and intervened in your greatest problem and taken all of your sin and put it on Christ. And he's brought the penalty that your sin should have received. Like like the separation, the hell that your sin evoked from a holy and righteous God, if he's poured all of that out on God the Son, Jesus Christ, who had no sin of his own, if, remember this is an if then, if Jesus has then received not only your sin but the full penalty for your sin and then gotten up from a grave, if he died your death and the grave was only borrowed for temporary purposes that would have eternal lasting effects, And he rose from the dead, overcoming your sin and overcoming your death. And if you've received that by turning from all other hope and placing your faith in Christ and Christ alone to be made right with God, if that's happened, if God is for you to that degree, he's got your marriage, he's got your addiction, he's got your financial situation, he has your singleness. He's got it. I cannot say that confidently, except that there's an empty grave. Because the grave is empty, if that's true, then God is for you. And if the right person is for you in this particular situation that you brought in here at the end of 2023, that you're hoping might be different in 2024, you're good. Somebody say, I'm good. Okay. All right. You guys are getting, I think you're getting it working together. Commentator David Guzik says this Romans 8 begins with no condemnation in Christ. It ends with no separation and in between there's no defeat. Let's 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 maybe look at that here for for a second. So so the context of this passage, right? It's written by the apostle Paul, who used to be Saul. He had this big transformation in life where he surrendered his life to Christ and Christ alone, and, and now he's writing to the church in Rome. So this is a letter to Christians, and, and this is a letter talking to them about, hey, this is, this is what life should look like. The beginning of Romans is, is all, like a lot of theology, a lot of like here's sin and here's your Savior and here's how God works. And then right around Romans 7 into 8 and then and then after there's like, uh, it's like life application. It's like, okay, here's the theology that you need to believe that is good and true. Now, here's what it looks like in practice. And then in, in chapter 7, what's awesome is Paul gets super messy, like with his own story. Like, not the story of Paul when, when he was Saul. You see, because sometimes as Christians, I think we're comfortable being messy with our old self. You know what I mean? Like, oh, before Christ, I was super messy. And then Jesus came along like, look at me now, ding. And and it's almost like we're afraid, we're afraid to let other people see that we're still like super messy work in progress. We're just now forgiven by grace. We just have now a new power. We have new access to the Father. We have a new identity. But there's still a lot of work to be done on this guy. You see, in in Romans 7, what's awesome, Paul's like, I do the things I hate. I don't do the things I want. It's like Romans 7 gives me hope as a Christian. I don't know about you. If it, if it like freaks you out, if, if it makes you think less of Paul, then we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Because Romans 7 is a beautiful chapter about how life really is not for the unbeliever, for the believer, who is still a work in progress and still really needs Jesus. And then Romans 8 comes along. And Romans 8 is all about what life can look like, life specifically in the Spirit. And it, like, centers on this one really important question. Who, not what. I picked this up in in study this week. Not, Not what can separate us, but who. It's almost like personifying maybe that you would have enemies that try to separate you from the love of Christ. So who, not just what, who, what kind of enemy is going to come in, maybe clothed in the form of a trial, tribulation, or maybe an actual person? Who's going to come in and try to separate you? Because here's the deal. If the enemy cannot have your soul for eternity because you are secure in Christ, the enemy will be satisfied and even slightly victorious to see you living with doubt over this question. Oh, if the enemy can just get you to doubt, that there is someone that can separate you from the love of Christ, then the enemy's going to count that as a consolation win. Because an insecure, uninformed, lack of confident Christian will start to look a lot like the world, slowly but surely. I know, I know. I know, because I am a recovering one. I'm a Romans 7 to Romans 8 guy, just like Paul. Or at least we'll have the potential to. And we don't want that. So, like I said, we've got four kids, right? And, and one of the things that we would do with our kids when we would go into big crowds, Disney World, um, whatever it might be, uh, the you know a Christmas Eve service, the exchange, the Sunday after Christmas Eve. Whoa, it's awesome! Like God's doing a really cool work here. So cool. We would say, if you get separated, here's the plan: find somebody who who works there or a mom. That was our that was our plan B. Find a mom, you know. And there, 300 questions would be like, why a mom? That's a, I can talk about a whole other sermon about that. But, but like, it just seemed like those were the safest bets. Find somebody with like a like uh, Disney World, Smile, or like uh, wherever you might be, Busch Gardens, like I, I Work Here shirt, sure, or find a mom. And then we're going to just hope that like, that that works out. That's plan B if we get separated. The whole point of this passage is that that is no longer a possibility between you and the Father. There is no plan B. So quit living like there's a plan B. Because what happens is we start, looking, we start looking for the worker who works here. We start looking for the mom. We start entering into plan B, and God's like, listen, I didn't sit you down and tell you what to do if you get separated from me. You're not holding on to me, thank the Lord. I'm holding on to you. Focus on my grip and know that there is no, somebody say no. no. Come on, let's do this. Somebody say no. no. Like you believe your life. In Christ, the flourishing of it depended on it. Here's what happens though, right? We start looking for the worker. All right, this is good, but I just want to like, I want to hedge, I want to cover myself, okay? And so that leads to a couple things when we start living out of plan B. When there is no plan B, we start getting super legalistic. We, we've got, like the Pharisees did back in the day, there, there was the law, and then there was the law around the law, and then there was like 600 degrees of like, well, you can't do this because you might do this, and the domino effect would mean you'd break the law. We start becoming really insecure, hyper-vigilant, not out of reverence and like love for God, but because we think we might lose it. How, how, why do I speak with authority on that? I know. Dude, this is my lane. Praise be to God, he's rescuing me from that. But I, I know or or we we maybe go the other way and we just start lowering the standards of God to to make ourselves think that we're still good with God. Well, certainly God can't keep the same sexual ethic today that he talked about back here, you know, 2,000 years ago. So, so that just must be kind of the idea, but as long as my heart's in the right place, like, I can kind of live how I want. And so we take license. Because it's our, it's our plan B. Or we just actually find another thing that's really good and try to slip it into God's place. Like if you're an athlete, man, like as long as my athletic career, or you're in business, as long as my business career is going well, like I know the Jesus thing's important, but I got this, and so I got two fists that are really close that I'm holding on to two things with, and and I'm pretty sure about the Jesus thing, but I'm really sure about this because I can count it, and how do you know if if you've got two fists here when it comes to your hope? Because when this goes up, you're super pumped. When this goes down, you're like in despair. How do, you know, how do you know you're all in with Jesus? How do you know like, you have one hope? Because when this thing goes up and down, you feel it. You, 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 you ride the wave a little bit, but you're good. You're good. Because you know there's nothing that can separate you from the thing that's most important in this life in the next. So are we condemned anymore in Christ? Somebody say, no. are we hopeless in Christ? Somebody say, no. are we vulnerable to separation anymore? No. We're decent on the first two, but the third one might get you. So let's keep moving. So third, the result. So what does it look like for us? if we actually get this right. And by the way, it's not just getting right here this morning. You know, like, um, on this, like, beautiful Sunday morning here in Deerfield Beach, everyone has their winter gear on, because, you know, like, you know you're, you're from Florida when you're geared up today. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a pre, I got a jacket. I'm gonna wear a jacket. I had a hat on before. I'm a jacket. So, you know, but then, like, at two o'clock, you're like, it's still Florida. <laughs> you're, like, ripping layers off. You know you're not from Florida if you're like, this is, like, you know, beautiful sun. This is great. You're not really thinking about your wardrobe as much as, like, us, us Floridians. We get to wear our boots and, and coats. So, so this, this question can't just be answered right this morning. This is on repeat. This is a practice. Ready? Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. You want something to get permanent in your life? Practice it. You're not going to get it Perfect. Practice what you want to get permanent. Somebody say no. Y'all need practice on your no. So do I. Like we need to get serious about our no because we have hearts that tend toward legalism and license and apathy and all those other things that go. But there's a different result. Check this out. Romans 8 continues and gives us a little bit of of the result. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Let's break this down a little bit. More than conquerors. All right, so um, the wording here can mean like hyper-conqueror. One of the commentators I read said Paul made it up. He liked compound words, so he just kind of made it up. Every now and then I'll, I'll preach a message and I just, you know, like it's coming to you, so you just make up the word and you hope it makes sense, okay? So hyper-conquerors, more than conquerors. It's like a thing, but, but it's hard to capture in a word. So we're going to break this Particular verse down into into looking at at three sort of sort of pieces here the more than conquerors the through him and, and who loved us so here's the deal guys um I want it I want it with dad okay it's kind of weird to bring your trophies to a church you guest preach at but I did <laughs> okay so if you if you know me you're like oh my goodness he like never does that if you don't know me you're like this guy's Maybe quasi-arrogant or weird. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just trying to make a point here. In the tennis world, okay, in the tennis world, which is where I spent a significant portion of my life growing up, on those courts, identified as, like, this is kind of who I am and what I do. Um, played a lot of tennis, had a lot of wins and losses. And then, and then you, you finish the tennis world, and you realize, I'm not going to be able to go pro. That's not going to be a thing for me. It takes you through college, and then you've got to figure out, like, real life after that, Right? A lot of sports do that to you. Well, in the tennis world, there's this thing called like the amateur circuit or the amateur tour, if you will. And, and, and there's all sorts of different divisions that you play based on your age. So it actually benefits you to get older. So you're like, oh, I can't wait till I'm, I'm 49. So when I'm 50, I can play in the 50s and I'm the youngest 50. Do you understand? I get a better chance to win against the old guys. That's how it works, right? So they also have family divisions. Mother, son, father, son, brother, sister. I've played a few of those, and, and they, all, they have like, you know, you can play sort of like at different levels, and there's, there's a couple of national tournaments that you can play on different surfaces. One's on grass court, one's on clay court, one's on hard court, indoor, almost kind of like if you know like tennis, the, the grand slams. So to, so to win a gold ball is what they give out. It's, it's like kind of like a thing, like oh my goodness, have you ever won a, a gold ball? And so like that for me as a junior, I never touched that. That was like now, I wasn't near that sort of level, but when, when we got into the, like, sort of the father-son type thing, like, we had a shot, right? And what was really cool is my dad and I were up in uh, Long Island at the Grass Court National Father-Son Senior Event, okay, where the dad has to be 60, you know? So, like, the son can be whoever, but they, they, they go based on the age of the dad. And, you know, I think my dad was, like, you know, the 59-year-old where he qualifies as a 16-year-old. It was like, our first year. And it was really cool. Like, like I, I, we won this thing, but, but I won it with Dad. Like, I think there's a picture. I don't know if you guys, are there slides? Are there slides happening right there? Okay, yeah. So, so there's a picture of Dad and I, uh, like, at the grass court tournament up in Long Island. And we, we weren't supposed to win it. We weren't seated. We beat the top seat. It was like a really amazing moment. Here's the deal. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Ready? It was more than a win. I've had a ton of wins. I mean, I didn't go past the collegiate level, but I've had, you have a ton of wins if you play a sport long enough. I want to tell you something. This, this, this thing, this whole thing, it was way more than a win. I was like m- more than just victorious in this national event. You know why? Because I did it with my dad. Like I won With my dad, we put it on the line. We were vulnerable. We could have lost. It went to the end. It would have been like, you know, in in sport, there's there's heartbreak involved, there's excitement, there's all sorts of things. Sport's a great microcosm of life, but I didn't just win. It was like more than a win because I did it with dad. I want to explain to you what happens when y'all win with your dad with your heavenly father. You become more than conquerors. You're not just forgiven of sin. That would be enough because of what your dad did for you through Christ in crushing him in your place. The exchange, what you're named after, that would be enough for you to be forgiven of sin. Exchange your unrighteousness with the righteousness of Christ that would be the win. But you're actually more than that. You see, because there are people who I I would probably have to forgive over the course of life that aren't in my family. They don't live in my house. They're not receiving my inheritance. They don't get tucked in by me every night. They're forgiven. We're good, but we're not necessarily close. This is you. When you win with dad... When you win with your heavenly father, you're forgiven. You're victorious over your sin. It no longer defines you, but you're also, according to the Bible that we read, you're also adopted. You're not just forgiven because some of us live like we're forgiven, but you know, like when that person forgives you, but your shoulders are still slumped, you still obsess over what you did, shame still calls your name, you're still kind of wondering, are you really, really good? That is not the more than conqueror that Paul is describing. The more than that is you are not only forgiven, but you're adopted. You're brought close. You now have new access and availability. You now need to have a new attitude about who you are in Christ because you are not just surviving. You're more than a conqueror. This is the result of a strong no. Nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ. Well, how do we do it? How how, how is it that we get access to experiencing this more than? Right? Forgiveness I got. Exchange I got. But how do I start living this out? I mentioned I'm a Romans 7, Romans 8 Christian. You are too. You just don't know it, if you don't know it. Um, And what that means is I struggle. It means that I need Jesus more than I'm really comfortable needing Jesus. You ever get to that point where you're like, oh, wow. Jeez, I like need Jesus. Like I need him for this conversation I'm having. Like I I need him just to pray. I need Jesus to need Jesus. Because I kind of want to like have a, a, a more polished relationship with Jesus. I kind of want it to be like a good handshake, maybe even like a warm hug, you know, and like so like we're good and I'm pretty polished and I get to live like that. But really, in reality, I'm like, Jesus, if you don't help me, I can't even look at my wife right. Jesus, I'm sorry for thinking I can walk in a room and do this, this, and that. I'm sorry I'm th- that I think that I can go to work and like hear your voice and bring it. I'm sorry that I think I can write an email that glorifies the creator of the world. I'm so- Jesus, I need you. Will you please come? I'm just not necessarily comfortable living that way. I like the more professional pursuit. But you know what Jesus invited us to, right? He didn't invite us to a professional pursuit of the spiritual disciplines. He invited us to a person himself, come to me. So when you're in your spiritual disciplines, which are good, and when you're in your small groups, and when you're Sunday morning, church, church, it's not pursuing knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's using every one of those moments to run hard after Jesus, the person. Because look, you're more than a conqueror, not just through what you know, but through him, a person. Not just a doctrine, a person. The person who is for you. So who could do be against you well, why does he do it well because he loves us look at the passage who love it's his love that does it so i struggle right it'd be cool if i maybe just left it there but i don't think it'd be fair to the passage or fair to you so i struggle like with some mental stuff okay and, and you could be like yeah we kind of got that idea you <laughs> know um, but i don't think it'd be cool if i left it there like, like I have a consistent battle with anxiety. Oh, it'd be kind of cool if I left it though. It probably has a lot on his mind. No, no, no. I'm talking about, like, the kind of anxiety that if you, like, knew the details of it, includes obsession, includes therapy. It has included therapy in the past. Includes, like, me wanting to, like, exit stage left on life at times. Like, not necessarily, like, in the suicidal range, but just kind of in the, like, I just wanna quit and go try to fix myself range. Like what's wrong with me? Am I a should I struggle like this if I'm a Christian? It's okay. Like, okay, so so like that, that's a that's like my life. Okay? That's not pre Jesus and then Jesus took it all away. This is my Romans seven, so I struggle. But I'm also a Romans 8 Christian, praise God, and what I have realized is that I'm actually more than a conqueror in what feels like some pretty debilitating anxiety, what makes me at times feel like I wish I was somebody else. Why am I a leader who has to walk through this and my skin is paper thin? Why is it that these obsessive thoughts keep coming? Why can't I just be normal like fill in the blank, who's probably not normal, but I think he's normal? My head. I'm actually more than a conqueror through the thing that has had my name since I was about nine years old. Let me tell you why. Not just because I'm forgiven of when I go back to old patterns of anxiety and try to fix myself and try to live out of plan B, but because I now have access to the Father. I have a new adopted access to the Father where I actually can feel the presence of God's nearness. I'm telling you this, let the testimony ring true. I can feel the presence of his nearness in the midst of the dark room, and it starts to change things. Just his presence, not my plan. Not every memory verse that I've tried to cram into that moment. The presence of my adoptive father in the midst of my really dark space changes things abba father so the passage the passage invites that doesn't jesus have that same relationship with the father especially on the cross you know what's true of jesus now if i'm in christ and he's in me becomes true of me that's my adopted son. i have new access i have new availability Now because I sense the presence of God in the darkness and I start to give thanks for how he cares for me, even before I experience the care, I now have breakthrough power where what has owned me in the past no longer owns me the same way. Literally, chains, they they still have marks. I still know where they are and sometimes I still go put them on. But they don't hold me like they did. I'm an, um, I have new power. I have new ability in the love of Christ to walk away and into my new identity in ways that I've never experienced before. I'm talking about the last few years, maybe even the last year and a half. I have new access to the presence of the Father. I have new availability and I have a new attitude now. It's like my anxiety is not me. Your addiction is not you. You might struggle with. Your financial, your fill in the blank, it's not you. That's not who you are anymore. We belong to him through the adoption that Christ made available. And I now have a new attitude when the lights start to go dim. Not every time, but it's coming. It's true for you too true for you too? Somebody say no. Got to work on your no. So where do we start? So let's just join God in his work in 2024, okay? Because if it doesn't start with you, we can't really think about like mission or winning the city of Deerfield Beach. If like your heart, like if we we got to work here and then out of this heart that's well kept flows river of life. And so let, let's join God in his work here. Let's start here. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Okay, here's, I'm going to give you some practical things here in a second, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now it talks about sons. It's, it's a male and female, like everyone invited and included, but it was the son in this culture that got the greater share. So understand that we have the greater share in Christ as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's an intimate cry of his presence, watch, of his, of his access that you now have, of his uh, ability that you now can walk in, and of the different attitude. You're more, I'm more than a conqueror in my anxiety. You're more than a conqueror if you'll receive this by faith. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So receive this. I look, check out this quote by Dane Ortland. He says this, It's the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God. Not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. That's what adoption is. Learning to collapse, over and over and over again into your Abba Father. All right, so where are we gonna where are we gonna finish? What do we do with this? How does this go from like a hype, like semi Sunday morning pep rally to like what am I gonna do with this tomorrow, later this evening? Let's just work this out real quick. First of all, collapse. If you've never, like, for the first time collapsed into the love of Christ through what the Father has done through his death and resurrection, then just collapse into that. Don't go get better. Don't go to the Exchange 101 and then do it. Just, like, right now, as you are, you're, like, you're you're messy, nasty, like, unpresentable self just bring it and collapse into this offering of love that's actually watch this stay with me that's the only way you can come did you know that you can't come dressed up jesus sees you coming dressed up he's like ha see that coat floridian nope not up in here you want to come to me you got to come dirty i'm not going to leave you there but you got to come as you are. Don't be coming up here with all your performance-based, like, this is what I got right. Now we're good, right, Jesus? No. Somebody saying no. no. Jesus is like, I want you right there. And then, and then I'll take you somewhere you've never been. Well, number two would be collapse more. This is what I was talking about. Abba, Father, it says that we get to cry, Abba, Father, you know what's awesome about like the crying is like this is like out of desperation but also some expectation. The problem is we as Christians we don't like to collapse, do we? We like we like to, to have it look good. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Like really? You good? Are you, are you really good? And you might be good. That's cool. But but are there not times when you're not really good? We just don't like to collapse. We don't like the posture of what it takes to actually experience the Lord. We'd rather, like, keep the distance, keep the appearance, not invite the Father, Abba, Father, into the cross we've been bearing, whether it's from our own sin or the sin of others. We'd rather just kind of figure it out up here, but dressed up with some perfume rather than, like, oh, my goodness, Oh my goodness, why am I here again? Wait a minute, you're good with that? I'll be good with it. Will you just just come? Okay, you will? You actually, you lean towards me in these moments? Oh, you have power that I didn't have when I was on my feet for me here? Okay, God, would you teach me to live here? Would you teach me to live in a collapsed state where I'm really desperate for you all the time and that becomes my norm? What if we quit playing around? This is me. What if we quit playing around with how much God loves us? You know? What if we just really sold out to the fact that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And you quit playing around with it, with all your performance and and like all the things that kind of like get in the way of that. And you just really sold out to the reality. There's nothing that can separate you from the greatest force, the most dominant, overwhelming thing in all of creation, which is the love of Christ. You can't lose it if you're in Christ. What if you just really quit playing around with that and it wasn't a nice thing you thought about when somebody preached about it, but every moment, every conversation, every time I went on a date with my wife, every time I left a tip, every time I had a conflict at work, every time, I was like, oh, I'm stepping into this as more than a conqueror because I know that no matter what, no matter what, I've got nothing to lose and nothing to prove there is no one that will separate me from the love of Christ do you know how that frees you to actually love people well and thrive in life you want a different 2024 somebody say no the last one is maybe you should just start paying attention because this this passage says that the spirit bears witness with your spirit but you know you can miss it right You can miss it. So start paying attention every time you read your Bible, every time you've got your hand up in a worship song, every time you're in prayer. Just pay attention to how the Spirit is bearing witness to you that you are adopted more than conqueror, child of the Father, and there is nothing that can separate you, no matter what you confess or refuse to confess. Would you just pay attention to the kindness of God because it's His kindness that leads us to repentance? I'm going to ask the team to come up, and I want to tell you just a brief story that I think helps to illustrate this point. You might know last from the last time we spoke about a year ago that our family uh, we're 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 kind of a, a diverse family in the sense that we have two biological kids. I would say that they kind of look like us, but one's like six two so and he has like beautiful long hair and and this is what I have and this is who I am so whatever that didn't work out it worked out great for him but um, we also have two children that we uh, fostered and adopted along the way so about eight years ago we met the first one his name's Cade and about seven years ago we met his sister uh, named named Cora and they were in a, a really a really bad spot when they came to us we were, we had notified four kids that we would be willing to adopt and not, uh, not uh, continue to foster. But we were actually willing to, it's not one better than the other, but we just felt like God wanted us to adopt. So our home would be open to what would potentially be a, uh, uh, a PTR where the parents would lose their rights. So you know it's not a good situation if you're born into a world where it looks likely potentially that your mom might be deemed not fit to care for you. To the point where you are again then going to be an orphan of the state, right? It's not a good situation. That's how we met our little guys um, who are now eight and seven, Kate and Cora respectively. And, and you know, like I know both sides of this message. So I know what it is to want to practice my know so that it becomes more and more permanent, like me receiving the love of God and being changed by it. But I also know, I also know the other side to the degree that I can know of what it's like to be an adoptive father and watch children in an environment that you're now responsible for. And you know what the most important question for Cade and Cora is? Since I received Cade at a baseball game where I watched my wife hold him. I think that's my first memory of him of my older son and since I held little Cora in a car seat where she was delivered by a caseworker, you know what the most important question for them has always been and will always be who's going to separate me from this family? Who's going to come in and break this good thing apart? Who's going to separate me from the love of my mom and dad and this is the question that we've been answering for seven to eight years Se- shall biology separate us shall culture separate us shall, shall generations of bad decisions separate us Shall parental failure separate us? Shall fatigue separate us? Shall anger separate us? Shall poor performance and rebellious hearts separate us? Shall some of the most difficult things a parent can hear separate us? Shall the selfishness of mom and dad separate it hasn't been easy it hasn't been pretty we've been on our knees a lot we've learned to collapse and here's here's something that i'm never going to forget that was told to me from the head of the therapy department from four kids the, the agency we adopted from he said casey His lifeline is your connection with him. Like you just stay connected to that kid, he's going to make it. No matter what's going on in here, you stay present so that he can answer with authority no. Nothing is going to separate me from my dad, from my mom. And we have seen the testimony of the Lord, eight years of healing and hope and transformation where God has given us two of the most bravest, beautiful, kind children that I am certain will change your world. because they knew a mom and dad who ultimately pointed them to a father who would never separate his love. They have become more than conquerors and will continue as we stay connected. The very same is true for you. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else i believe this is how it's supposed to be read don't read it anyway else will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and somebody from the exchange said amen 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 let's stand and sing about this very truth father we ask now that the presence of your Holy Spirit even in the midst of this song would come and change the atmosphere of our heart and mind that we would learn maybe for the first time to collapse into Christ Believing his death and resurrection are enough. We're giving up hope on anything else and we're just holding on to your love. We're saying yes as we sing this song to you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. God, and for those of us who have said yes, we are collapsing again with great confidence that there is nothing that will separate us from your love because you are for us in christ in christ alone and all of god's people said amen